Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, it's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Monday, May 11th, 2009. The weather is absolutely gross this morning. I've got that uh, that little misty rain stuff going on. It's just enough to coat your windshield and just enough to make you run your windshield wipers a little faster than intermittent. Uh, so driving conditions aren't the best. So this may be a 20-minute podcast versus a 35- to 40-minute podcast. Also, I think you're going to notice that today's show notes on the blog are quite abbreviated, uh, simply because my Mondays are turning into a uh, less free time, so my Monday mornings are becoming much more infiltrated with tasks, uh, with some restructuring that I am doing at the office, so uh, that's why you'll see abbreviated show notes on most Mondays, maybe I'll get back online late in the afternoon and update them and add some more stuff to them, so that's what's going on there. Let's go ahead and knock out some house cleaning. Number one, uh, as always, remember, you are not only allowed to, but encouraged to disagree with the host of the Survival Podcast. You can do that on our forum. You can do that on our blog. You can even do that in a direct email to me. Um, that doesn't mean that I'll necessarily agree with your disagreement, but uh, you are welcome here no matter what your opinions may be, and I do reserve the right to be wrong. Number two, if you think you get more than 25 cents in value out of each episode of the Survival Podcast, consider joining the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade and get exclusive content available only to members. Consider coming down to the Region 5 Big Bug Out Camp Out Get Together in Gulfway, Texas at the end of this month over Memorial Day weekend. Details in the show notes. And uh, I don't know if there's any room even left. I haven't really talked to Alan or Dude recently, but uh, I will be at Dirt Time 09 near San Bernardino's uh, National Forest uh, in August, the end of August this year. It's going to be a great event. There's like 14 survival experts giving various workshops. I'll be there for the first three days of the event, and then we're going out to Santa Catalina Island to hang out and make this part of our uh, vacation as well as a working trip. So that kind of wraps up the house cleaning. Let's get into uh, the show today. And what I'm going to talk about today mostly is what we learned from the non-event of swine flu. And uh, what I mean by non-event is this is not the big, giant, global pandemic that they made it out to be. And, We didn't need to go up to level 5 with the CDC and all this other stuff. And this thing could still be a threat this fall. We don't really know yet. But overall, nothing really happened this time. And it was kind of a boy that cried wolf thing because they overreacted to it. We're going to talk about what we've learned from this whole event today. And how it should influence you going forward in your preps for not just pandemic, but any threat that we could come under. Before we do that, though, there's a little thing that got emailed me today. And I knew about this, but I don't I don't think I actually realized the extent of how much cropland is currently dry and barren and not producing this year because of this. There is a place called, I believe it is called the San Joaquin Valley. 
It is in Southern California. It is one of the most rich and fertile croplands in the world, let alone the United States. It produces a variety of produce and fruits and vegetables and nuts uh, that are shipped throughout our country and throughout the world. It is just as the Midwest is our, the you know, the breadbasket of the world for its production of grain. The San Joaquin Valley is the the breadbasket of the world for its production of all other produce, everything from peppers to fruits and vegetables. And you, you, you commonly everything other than grain is, is grown in massive amounts in the San Joaquin Valley uh, because of the long growing season and, and extremely rich fertile soil and everything else. But the one thing they don't have there is an abundance of natural water. So the California, in cooperation with state governments back in the 60s, built a canal system uh, that comes out of the Delta and irrigates about two-thirds of the cropland in the state of California, all from this one canal system. And it's how they've grown so much food there for so long. And unlike the part of the show I did earlier this uh, this month where I talked about the uh, the fossil aquifers, the water that's being used here is, is available in abundance. There's, there's no shortage of the water that's being used to irrigate these crops. And they're being irrigated in a very smart way because they're kind of in a desert environment. They're being done with irrigation ditches. This is not like sprinklers running, you know, four hours a day or something. This is a, a very well thought out um, irrigation distribution system. But right now, there's no water in the ditches. None at all. And right now, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of croplands in Southern California are dying. Orchards that have stood for four decades are dying. And I'm not making this up, and I'm not over-exaggerating. It's the land is dying. You see an aerial photograph, as far as you can see, horizon to horizon. And what used to be lush, green, orchard, it's now barren, dry, death. Why? Why is it this way? For a minnow. There's a fish called the Delta Smelt that's been moved to the endangered species list, and it lives in the Delta where this water is drawn from. To save the minnow, we have stopped pumping the water. So, to save a minnow, tens of thousands of people, apparently about 60,000 people immediately are going without jobs. And far more people are going to go without food to save a minnow. Now look, I get on the environmental whack job sometimes, but I understand how something like a smelt can actually be critical and important to an ecosystem. I get it. But this water is being been pumped into this irrigation system since 1968. If the people that are actually concerned about this smelt didn't have their heads so far up their ass that you can't see their chin anymore... They would be looking for a way to actually save the smelt without destroying the ecology that's been built throughout the San Joaquin Valley on agriculture. Because that place was a barren, desert-like emptiness before agriculture came. And the agriculture being done there is not riping the land. It's made the land into something beautiful, and it's being turned back into a desert to save the fish, a minnow. Now, surely there's a way to help this minnow 
without putting 60,000 of our farmers out of work, destroying what they've taken decades to build and handed down for some of them three generations in their family. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to post a link in the show notes to a report by Sean Hannity. Yeah, I know, it's Sean Hannity. He's all evil right wing. Just watch the report and see what's going on out there. Look at the pictures for yourself and see what's happening to save a minnow. And the reason I bring this up is not to right the wrong because, you know, Sean Hannity and the people that have already reported on this have a lot more clout than I do. It's to drive home to you when I tell you there are things out there that either by malice, incompetence, or stupidity that can create food shortages in our distribution systems, I mean it. And this virtually guarantees that we will have shortages in our food supply this year. There's people out in Southern California right now that live off the local economy as far as food goes, standing in line at food banks to compensate for what's not usually just readily available to them because they didn't have to go out and buy food. They were eating the food they were producing on their own farms. And now the farmers in Southern California, the people the closest to the food, are starving. That's reality. Sorry to start your Monday off on kind of a dim, down note. But that's what's going on. So, on another dim, down note, let's uh, get into uh, swine flu. What's, what, have we, what have we learned from swine flu? There's a, there's a few lessons, I think, that every prepper should be taking to heart right now from watching what just happened over the past couple weeks with the non-event of swine flu. The first thing we learned, we should have already known this, but we've just seen it in action. Our government is incompetent. The government agencies that handled this thing handled it in an irresponsible manner. They created alarmism, they created panic, and they created a bigger problem than was really there by their own actions. Nothing they did actually helped anybody. It didn't prevent anything. It caused widespread panic for a disease that right now is no worse than the flu that infects thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people every single year. Plain and simple. They made a big deal out of nothing, and their response was absolutely abysmal. And I ask you folks... What if this had been a real pandemic? The people that you just saw handle this crisis, would you want them to be responsible for the safety of the American people if it had been a real pandemic, a real crisis? Have we not learned again that when it comes to large-scale problems, our government has no idea what the hell it's doing? And that means that the only people that can take care of you are yourself. You're the only one that can do this for you. This is exactly why you have got to have a plan in place for what you're going to do if any of these disasters go down. Be it staying in place, be it moving to your bug out location, a fallback location, what have you. You've got to have food stored up. You've got to have a way to take care of the food that's already in your home and make sure you don't lose it if the electrical grid goes out. You have got to be responsible for you. Because what we've just seen, once again, is a complete demonstration of incompetence. 
And, you know, I know some people will take me to task and say, well, what were they supposed to do? Well, one thing they were supposed to do is get a handle on what they were dealing with before they started freaking out and having the, the director of Homeland Security, Janet Napolitano, coming out and talking about this thing instead of somebody that actually has a clue about medicine. That would have been one thing they could have done. Another thing they could have done is not go around making statements like, the flu will turn deadly in the United States. The flu has always been deadly in the United States. All of the things that they did created an upswell of panic. And what you would have saw in people, the little mild panic that we saw, that we all laughed about. Remember the people that I mentioned, I walked into Starbucks, I cleared my throat, and they all looked at me like they were going to die. Right, All these people that, that ran in, in a Rite Aid and stood in line and bought the last surgical masks, how much more panic would have been created? If, if it wasn't even a real pandemic, if it just went a little bit further, if the illness was just a little bit more serious, if it spread just a little bit faster, what you've seen is that the panic, which is what most of us fear more than the disaster itself, the reaction of our fellow man, everything the government tends to do, will aggravate it and make it worse because they do not understand how to deal with these situations. They do not understand how to keep people calm and that our media eats this crap up and starts using words like death toll when there's two people. That's what we've learned so far from the dawn event of swine flu. And, you know, I'm beating up on the government I'm beating up on the media. Let me beat up on myself and all of you guys out there, my fellow preppers, right now. I think what a lot of us learned is we haven't done as much as we we think we should have. Because when it first broke, when the story first broke, because of the way that everybody was reacting to it, before we had an opportunity to really get a handle on things, we all had to take a step back and go, "This, this may be real. This may be a big event. If you remember the story I did, uh, I guess two weeks ago on Monday, when I first brought my view of the swine flu to you, I said, I I don't know what this is right now. This could be a really big problem. It could be a complete non-event. I told you I was leaning toward non-event, but that we needed to take this seriously. And uh, what I learned in those early days before we got a handle on this, when everybody was responding to it, is that most preppers were thinking, oh, crap. I should have done more. Oh, crap. This is bad. This is scary. This is the stuff that we've been preparing for. I don't know if I'm ready yet. And I think that most people, once they took a breath, and they gave it a day, and they looked at their situation, realized that, you know what? Um, I'm not as prepared as I wish I was, but I'm a hell of a lot more prepared than the average person. And when they sat back and said, okay, what am I going to do in the next week as this thing progresses if it starts to get worse? And they started thinking about what they would do. They began to calm themselves. They began to take control and they began to assess the situation. And they began to say, okay, look, I do have a plan. Look, I can stay put for a couple months if I have to. Look, I do have a place that I can go. But initially, that fear that hit your gut, that made you think, oh, crap, is it too late to do more? Is there no more time left to get ready? That fear, that tells you that inside you know that you're on the right path and you know that you need to be doing the right thing and you know you need to continue to take this thing seriously. And it probably pointed out to you holes in your planning. 
you probably immediately thought of the things you haven't done right yet. And like you just came, even if you never thought, not even the things that you're like, you know, I really should do this, but I, you know, eh, I'm just not, I don't have the money or whatever. Not, not those things. Probably things that like you, you've never even considered before. You sat there and you went, okay, well, I got to just, oh, damn it, damn it, oh, there's a hole, right? So that is the place you need to go now. That place that you had the most concern over for your own personal planning. You need to look at that area right now and shore it up. Because this event just brought that to your individual attention. So remember that little feeling in your stomach. That little uneasiness, that little sickness in the pit of your gut. Consider this thing a drill. And whenever you question yourself, am I doing the right thing here? Would I be better off just putting my head back in the sand and going back into the matrix and forgetting reality? Remember the way you felt the day you first heard about that, and you thought, hey, there might be something to this. The next thing we learned is something I've been telling everybody for a long time, almost since the very beginning of the show, and I think some people had their doubts about it, that in the event of a pandemic, they will lock us down into a quarantine. We've learned that's absolutely what they would do. We saw the first steps of it. It starts with the closing of schools. It then progresses to the closing of large public events. We've seen both of those occur. There were, there were public events shut down right here in Dallas, Texas, because of a swine flu that was a non-event. What if it was a real event? How many other things would have been shut down? You know, Mayfest, which is one of the biggest, absolutely one of the biggest events in Fort Worth. And, and a big part of where a lot of money comes from to support things like the parks and recreation uh, throughout the city. And it's not a small amount of money. It, it's a half a million dollars just at, at opening that was lost. Just just the vendor's fees to be there, let alone all the other money that's spent, all the other things that are done to raise money. So half a million out the door. So you're talking several million dollars by the time it's over with. Gone. Because they shut it down. Because, oh my God, somebody might you know, get swine flu. The next step after they stop, they start shutting down uh, the large public events in the schools, they start shutting down the large workplaces, the places where so many people come together. Because if you think about it, there isn't much difference in 800 kids going to work, uh, school in the same building every day as there is from 800 adults going um, to work in the same building every day. So the large office environments begin to get shut down. And pretty soon from there on, you're, you know, stay in your homes. Now, if it's a real pandemic... If it is really that type of situation that we're dealing with, I don't even fault that. That's, I, you know, my fear is actually the government will wait too long before they do it. And my fear is that people won't obey it, and it will lead to civil unrest, civil breakdown, civil disobedience. The reason, though, that, you know, well, how can you be for locking people down in their homes? If it's a real deadly flu or a real deadly virus or bacteria spreading of any kind, the only way... The only way to stop the spread is to isolate and quarantine. There's, there is nothing else you can do to stop it. Anything else is, is, is insufficient. So it's the only answer that they have. So if you've ever doubted that your workplace could be shut down and you could go without income, if, you, if you've ever doubted that your children would not be allowed to go to school because they have to stay home because they might get sick, if you've ever doubted that our economy could be literally crushed by nobody going anywhere for weeks or even months. 
If you've ever doubted you could have been told you will stay in your home for the next 30 days or 60 days, all of those doubts should now be out the window. You've seen exactly the beginning of the progression of response and what it would be. And you've seen something else that's, I guess, important to note and maybe mitigates a little bit of the incompetence or the alarmism anyway. The CDC and our government takes this very, very seriously. Now, I'm not a big advocate of government, as you know. I'd like to see none of it. I really would. I am as as libertarian as a man can be. And I think if we were left to ourselves and we just had a framework that allowed for the protection under the law and ensuring commerce and ensuring defense, I think we'd be a lot better off. But in the end, you also have to say that the people running the government are still people. And a lot of them are privy to information that we are not given. And what you saw was an overreaction because they know how serious this really can be. And less so the government and more so the Center for Disease Control uh, itself as an individual entity. Uh, Those guys, along with the World Health Organization, they were really quick to start ratcheting things up. And the reason is simple, in my opinion. It's not because it's a black ops operation and they're all trying to exterminate us and this was a drill so they can get it right the next time. No, 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 no. No, put your foil hat away, my friend. It's because they know all of these different diseases that are out there. And they know what's happened before in human history. And they know it is not if, it is when. And anytime something new that they don't understand crops up that has human-to-human transmission ability, there is a great deal of fear that it may be this time. So what you should learn from this non-event is the real event is not only possible but probable, and sooner or later probably will occur. And the reason you saw the outright hysteria from the people that are supposed to be in charge is they thought this might be it. And I know there's some of you conspiracy theorists out there that are like, no, they knew they knew what they did. They created this. They, 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 they made it in a lab. They're out to get us. Whatever, you know. I, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, God, get a grip. So that's the other thing we learned, that the conspiracy theorists will not rest on anything. The disease must be a creation of mankind. I suppose men created the Black Plague, too. We had bioengineering before anybody knew what a germ was in the 1300s, right? And all the other famines and pestilences and everything else was always created by the New World Order, right? Way back, you know, 1500s, right? The the, the Munder Minimum that occurred and created the Little Ice Age the last 500 years, it was a plot. That was a plot by... See, and the, 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 so one thing we should have learned in the rational space of things, when we, we hear from conspiracy theorists, that even though those guys are useful, and they are useful because they will find out information that's going on. They will find out things that our government's doing that's being hidden for us because they're, they're obsessed with finding whatever they can, but they will never cease to go over the edge. Absolutely never cease to go over the edge. We had reports while this was going on that were supposedly credible, and I put that in big, giant air quotes, that there were trucks running around throughout the United States carrying not vaccine, but the flu itself, and that soon we would all be infected. 
that that's what was going to happen next. We were all going to be infected with the flu that was made in the laboratory. And these trucks were driving to secret government facilities. And then they were pulling into these little stations and they were being taken subterranean underground with an elevator. And the people driving them were making $10,000 a load being paid to them in a very hidden uh, debit card so that the government could keep its hands clean. We, we had people saying these types of things. And to be fair to Alex Jones, I think overall, there was that 20% out there, like he usually does, but overall he did a very good job of controlling this. He was one of the first people to rein back in his own you know, conspiracy junkies and say, oh, hold on, we're not all going to die from this thing. But the fringe element ran with it. And now that it's not happened, they're backpedaling and they're making new stories. So now it was just a drill. Now it was just so they could see how people would react, because they didn't know, right? And now they're getting ready to really come get us. And then we had the other conspiracy theorists that said, the flu is it's not going to hurt you. But they want everybody to take this vaccine. The vaccine is the real goal. And they're going to be forcing people to take these vaccines. So we've learned once again that you really have to be careful what you listen to, what you choose to believe, and how quickly you accept something to be fact before you go out and check it against other verifiable sources. We also learned how quickly factual information can be bent, twisted, and contorted on the Internet and via email change. Chains, I'm sorry, not change, but via email chains. One very much in particular occurred right here in Dallas-Fort Worth. I was able to go out and verify what was true and what was untrue. I received an email from a a forum member, a fan, a listener, and a very credible person, absolutely 100% believed that, that they were being genuine. And it came from somebody at Parkland Hospital that was at a briefing given by a doctor, Dr. Atkins. Immediately skeptical, because Atkins, Atkins, you know, the the high-protein guy, um, sounded a little bit too similar in names and, you know, trying to get that affinity. There must be a real doctor. I've heard that before. Looked up Dr. Atkins at uh, UT Southwest Medical Center here, and uh, son of a gun, not only is he there, he has the position of director, which it was said uh, that he had in the email. So I verified that the person sourced exists and was who he was sourced as being. Um, being a local guy, I sent him an email, and I said, hey, this is going around right now in an email chain. It's being attributed to you. I'm trying to find out if some or all of it is true or if it's complete hoax. Emails me back, so like they give a briefing, and uh, for the most part, the stuff that's like common sense here is absolutely spot on, but the problem is that this email chain is accentuating the worst possible situation and mitigating the most po- probable situation. In other words, they had completely been flipped around from the from the advice that, and the, uh, the, the overview that this physician had given. So he had come out and said, hey, like this is the worst scenario we've ever seen. This is what we're seeing with swine flu. It doesn't look like the same thing. We don't really know, but it could go to the extreme. So here's the precautions that we should be taking right now. And even though this thing started out pretty much factual, in one rendition, it took on a complete new 
life of its own. And I was able to immediately verify that. And I will uh, put a link in today's show notes. I might have to backfill, like I said, later today because I'm going to be so busy this morning. Um, but I'll put a link to a form thread where I give the emails it was sent to me and the response from the physician himself in his own words, exactly what he said in response to this email. Now, there was another email that went around that I wasn't able to verify because it didn't actually name a source, but supposedly down near Houston where this kid died, this Mexican immigrant, who I don't think was here legally to begin with, the first death of swine flu in the United States, it came from Mexico already infected and already deep, deep, deep into problems. But supposedly down there, the hospital was lying to everybody. There were people lined up in these hidden rooms in the back of the hospital on ventilators. And the people were dying left and right. They were keeping it quiet. This is what happens. People start talking. You cannot believe the crap that you hear on the internet unless you can verify it from multiple sources. And some of them have got to be what you would normally consider credible sources. You've got to start verifying your information. If you don't, you're going to go into the hysteria that everybody else does. This is what was going on. For the true believer out there, the true believer that, dun, 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 they're out to get us, right? For that believer, as hysterical as the media was being, as sensational as the media was being, as overreaching as the government was being, the story wasn't sensational enough for them. They just knew that there had to be more. And I think another thing we've learned from this, there are people that look sane on the surface that are probably genuinely mentally ill that insert themselves into these situations. This lady that called the power hour and told the story about the trucks driving around, going into the elevators, getting all this very minute detail, that was probably fabricated in the teeny tiny little brain cells in her head. And she doesn't think she's wrong. She believes what she said. When she was asked, what is your source on this? She said, it's very credible, but I, I really can't tell you. It's because it came from between her ears and the gray, gray matter up there. There are mentally ill people. That are involved in all these, you know, little pockets of we know the truth. That have delusions of being the, the, the guy that knows more than everybody else. The woman that knows more than everybody else. That will take advantage of these situations and try to make them more than they are. Never lose sight of that fact. And the biggest thing we've learned, we should have all known already, and I think we all did know, but we got to see it for ourselves, how ill-prepared the average person is for anything that disrupts their, their morning coffee, let alone their way of life. We just witnessed a tiny blip on the alert screen, and we watched people start to panic. And that should tell you, What's going to happen? It doesn't have to be a pandemic, folks, when there's a real problem. What if there's a real food shortage at some point, you know, because it's minnow or some other thing? And there's a real food shortage. What, what, what are people going to do then? On the other side, we learned how moronic people can be, how out of touch with reality. I have three perfect examples 
Okay. Two, I can verify is 100% fact. And one was told to me, but I tend to believe this source because I've talked to them long enough and this is an eyewitness account. The first one, told us before, little kid on TV in Mexico with a flu mask on. Takes his flu mask off, drinks out of a bottle of soda in his hand, he puts his flu mask back on. But he was a little kid, folks. He's in Mexico. Give him a break. He doesn't really understand. But then, <laughs> then we had the rocket scientist last weekend, the complete freaking genius that worked at Kroger supermarkets. Then I stood in line and listened to him the next line over, t- saying how she had pulled her kids out of school even though they didn't close the schools because, by God, she wasn't taking any chances with the lives of her children. And there's no way she's going to let them be exposed to this flu, even if they say it's not dangerous because we don't know yet and they could be wrong. And God knows there's no way. No way she'll let any harm befall her children while she's working at a supermarket. Being exposed to thousands of people and all the things that they touch, and I don't care how much she washes her hands, she's probably more likely to contract swine flu in a supermarket than her kids are in a school where it hasn't cropped up yet. Because more people from more areas come in and touch more stuff. Just doesn't make any sense. And then the third one, and this is the one that was given to me as secondhand information, but I just don't doubt it because I've seen how stupid people are. Guy said he was at a restaurant. Two people came in wearing flu masks, walked into the restaurant wearing flu masks, removed their masks to eat their food, put them back on, and then left. I just... I, I don't have any words. You might think I'm going to go off on you know, you know, a typical Jack rant or something. What do you say? What do you say? I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. This is the mentality of the sheep surrounding you. They are the ones that will go absolutely bonkers if something real occurs. Even if it's not that big of a something real. If it's a a moderate something real. Something that like, okay, for two weeks we're going to have some hard times, but if we all keep our heads, we're going to be able to get through this just fine. It won't matter. They will go nuts. Because they don't know what to do. They don't have any plan. They are not prepared. They are not informed. And what you saw with those three things, take the kid out. But the lady working at Kroger, the guys coming in to eat steak with flu masks on, is they don't understand. And as soon as something you know, dangerous happens in their minds. It interferes with their ability to use logic and think. Because they think that if you had taken either one of them in a totally calm situation and said, hey, you know, if there was ever a flu, do you think that maybe you could be exposed to it by going to work? That lady would have said, uh-huh. And if you would have talked to these two gentlemen and said, hey, um, do you think if you're wearing a flu mask to prevent the flu, if you remove it, when you remove it, you've kind of mitigated the fact that you ever wore it in the first place? They would have went, yeah. But once they're put into the situation, once the fear hits, they lose control of their ability to use logic. Don't forget that, because it's got to be part of your planning to understand that the people around you probably won't be able to think clearly because they're not prepared to think clearly. The final thing I want to talk about right before I sign off today, though, is this is the upbeat one. Well, you should have learned, once you got over that little bit of sickness in your stomach, that little that little gut check reaction, oh, am I really ready, am I really ready? We're doing the right thing, folks. 
We are absolutely doing the right thing. You probably learned that you're more prepared than you really thought you were. For a second, you thought you were less prepared because now it's real. Ugh. I didn't run any drills. I don't really know. Uh, but then when you started thinking, okay, well, there's food there. Okay, I got that taken care of. If we do have to leave, I know where I'm going. I know how I'm going to get there. I've got stuff in my vehicle if, if something happens to and from work. Because I'm still going to go to and from work right now because it doesn't seem like it's that bad yet. I'm going to sit here, assess the situation, determine whether it's as bad as they say it is. Pay attention to the news, but not over-listen to the news. When it gets to be too much repetition, I'm going to turn it off. You learned... You learned that you are more prepared than most of the people around you. And you learned that if something does happen, you are going to be able to make a difference in your own life. That's why we really do this. And on that note, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. And I hope you keep doing the things that you're doing. I know this wasn't one of my really inspirational, upbeat episodes. But at the end, you should feel inspired. Because you are the difference maker in your own life. You are the person that's put things into place. And even if you're very, very new to this and you're just getting started, you're probably already further ahead than most because you've already got the mindset that's right. And the way you think will be more important to you in a catastrophe than the resources that you have. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream. You can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.